Panic from the Smiths, taken from the album Louder Than Bombs. I'm David Eastall, and this is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should, as always I'll be crossing time, space and genre with the finest in indie pop. And this week's special guest is going to be Mandarin from BIS. So expect quality music and a lot of quality chat. As always, um, I'll break the interview that we had a few weeks ago up into three or four easy to digest little segments throughout the show. But I thought we should get the party started with their classic, your favourite, my favourite. I know it's like Darren Bryan, isn't it? But this is Candy Pop. Get out of my way. energy i just feel exhausted as listening to that but that's at my age and um, i probably need to sit down and take a ventilant just because i'm vaguely hyperventilating anyway that is this and that's the track called candy pop this is david Esau. this is the c86 show as always, bringing you the finest in indie pop. This week's special guest is Mandarin from BIS, because I caught up with her a few weeks ago, which was all very exciting. So I've got that interview um, broken up throughout the show, but obviously it's going to be a BIS special. So if you're a fan of the band, fill your boots. You're going to have a great 60 minutes. But, um, and if you're not, then frankly, you should be. So I'm going to play another track before we have the first part of that interview. This is going to be Icky Poo Air Raid. I know. Brilliant name. Take it away.
Yes, nothing wrong with that. That's the um, that's Bis again with a track called Ikipu Air Raid, and that was a track they also recorded for a John Peel session many years ago, or probably decades now actually. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. I will tell you a little bit later on how you can contact me at the station, but. I can keep that suspense for another day. This is going to be the first part of my interview that I had with Mandarin from the band. Um, This was done a few weeks ago. And this is the first part of the interview where we talk about the very early days and the formation of the band, because it's always good to start at the beginning, I do believe. Anyway, Mandarin, take it away. I kind of got friendlier with John and Stephen in about 1993. Um, Stephen and I started dating and they were already doing a band at the time and they were so young. Like John was four was he fourteen? Fourteen and Stephen was sixteen at the time. I kind of got into them as a band. And then this would be a, a year later when Stephen and I got together and then um I went to the rehearsals and I was asked if I could play keyboards and I was like oh, yeah sure like I couldn't properly but I could play by ear and I thought it could probably do for what they were wanting to expand a mm. two-piece and it just seemed to work I didn't sing at the beginning but it was enough to free Stephen up from playing the keyboards so that there could be two guitarists and then I was getting so into all the kind of riot girl music and thinking oh maybe I could do do a little song of my own because I was getting so excited seeing how they were doing it and that's when our our first single Kill Your Boyfriend came about and it was the first one I sung and it was just so exciting and scary and amazing at um, doing our, our first gig in 1994 yes or would it be 95 by then maybe and people when you were like standing up at the as soon as they heard me sing, it was just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say sing, but it was more like, it was just shouty. So yes, well, that's exciting. exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously at that point, because because a lot of the bands that I'd interviewed for that sort of the C86 bands, they they had a sort of five years where things were going quite well. But then towards the, the late 80s, there was the dance scene that started, you know, the whole Man- Manchester thing with the Stone Roses yeah. and... Um, uh, the Happy Mondays and Soup Dragons had got their sound different. And then there was also the grunge scene from Seattle. So a lot of yeah. those kind of bands that I liked in the 80s, they just had enough and, and nobody seemed interested in them. And also, <laughs> they by then also had got issues amongst themselves. So you came along kind of that post-grunge period, really, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. We were kind of always... We never really fitted into any scene, really. Um, I don't know if it was being from Glasgow if it was being a lot younger at the time than all the people we were into or I don't know we just seemed to do our own thing and I kind of like just being our own little team yes and um, when when I first met John and Stephen yes we were into all the Manchester stuff we did like the first gig the three of us went to all together would have been suede and yeah we, we loved all that kind of stuff and and the dance stuff so yeah I think that's why our sound is quite quite mental because our, our influences are from all over the shop yes because um well what was Glasgow like in that period because obviously cities changed quite a lot so was mm-hmm. there was there quite a an um, uh, a vibrant music scene during that period yeah I don't really think there's been a time where Glasgow hasn't been vibrant for music um we were new to it of course and we weren't old enough to go to bars at that time which was always quite funny but we could play in them um if we didn't drink which we didn't of course and yeah it was um we were into bands like yummy fur and long leg and again they just seemed so much older and I was really shy being around all these girls who were just so cool and um even people like Alex Capranis was in a different band called the blisters then and he was putting on gigs at a venue called 13th Note, which has changed premises now. Um, but it was just so different. And we, I think we were just quite timid about it all. Um, Stephen worked in a, a music shop called Merchant City Music. That was his Saturday job. And a lot of, he got to know a lot of people through that, which was brilliant. And that's when he got studio time for us and things like that. So we kind of got into a, 
a different way, I suppose. Yes, because there were bands like, um, is it uh, D-Light and also Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine, mm-hmm. abbreviated as Carter, obviously. I mean, they, they've got absolutely huge. And I remember Carter once headlining Glastonbury, which seems quite amazing now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also The Orb, which is even more amazing. But um, obviously they were there at that time. Did Were bands like that quite influential to you because you had a lot of exuberant um, excitement amongst the three of you yeah well I suppose a band like Carter um you could compare to like very very early bis where it was the drum machines and at, at the time I joined it was just a two-piece so that did that did kind of ring a bell in that way um, and it's only when I hear their stuff now it's just like oh actually I quite like a lot of their songs and maybe not the coolest band by some people's standards but uh, I've still got a big soft spot for all the 90s 80s stuff. Yes well I I sometimes think you need to have a bit of a time without them and then sort of have a you know a decade and then you come back and think actually it wasn't so bad after all because a lot of bands which I've um, interviewed there's often you know they create a sound that is a little bit more sort of uh, I suppose not unusual, but something a bit different to the normal pub or club, you know, so you're not just playing in front of your friends and family and people who feel emotionally blackmailed to come along. But to, <laughs> to, to get beyond that little circle is often John Peel sort of picking up a single and playing it. And that often gives people that kind of push to sort of play outside their sort of community. And obviously a John Peel session is another big one. So what was your kind of, did it take a while to get your sound kind of, I suppose, kind of, you know, to make it something that was a little bit more different and unique. Well, when before I joined, it was it was very different, and I really liked that kind of sound, and because I wasn't I was into the same kind of indie music as they were, and I was buying like their demo cassettes and stuff like that before I joined the band, um, but when I when I joined, it kind of expanded it, um you know, mus- musically and just in every way because I was quite a, a proactive kind of person. I like to just do stuff. So maybe I, maybe I just concentrated on making stuff happen more. I don't know. Um, but we just kind of did what we wanted to do and we just kept writing and writing tons and tons of songs. It's the, the most exciting thing when you start out as a band. You just write so many songs, like tons Anyone wants to put a seven inch out? Yeah, here's a song. Do you want to do a B side? Yeah, here's a song. Do you want to do this compilation? Yeah, here's one. And you just give all your stuff out. And then you can just, you can go off at different tangents and try different stuff. You can do cover versions if you wish. And I think that's why we never kind of conformed to your typical school band who did, you know, mainstream cover versions and you invited the family along, like you say. We, we didn't do anything like that. We were the complete opposite I was I didn't want people I knew to see me I preferred playing out of Glasgow because then it's people who didn't know me and I'd get less embarrassed and it's only now you know when people who went to school with me is hearing when I see them they're like oh they can't believe what I went on to do because I wasn't very you know I was quite a shy person at school so Mm. it's quite it's quite interesting and then when John Peel played as that just kind of was the catalyst for us to just go even further with everything. It was so exciting. I'll never forget that day. It was just, it sent shivers through me. It was just like, oh, it's just absolutely amazing. We've yeah. been very lucky. Yes. And obviously, because I mean, the the rise to sort of fame, it was obviously, it wasn't an X factor, but you did sort of hit toward the pops as well. <laughs> I mean, in the sense that that was only two years within, you know, the start of the band, which again, most people do sort of lightly, unless they're on the X factor, struggle to get that far. <laughs> and, and you did it. So because did anything prepare you for that kind of, yeah, sort of amazing sort of escalation to success? Oh, you know, this is, I went more around this time because started the band when I was 16 and we were top of the pops when I'd just turned 18. And in that time, we just, as I was saying, released so many seven inches and, you know, compilations we were part of just because we could. And we were offered gigs here and there, we would do them. So with all this stuff and we'd got a manager, thankfully, at this point, who was just a, a local friend who'd never done it before. And all the labels were starting to get in touch, all coming up from England and inviting us over to America. And it's like, I was completely gobsmacked. We all still lived with our parents. And uh, 
think John was still finishing his fine bits in school. And it was just so strange. No, we were not prepared, not at all. And I suppose looking back on it now, we all were quite naive, even though we were quite boisterous and didn't think that we were. <laughs> and we wish we'd done other things, blah, blah, blah. But what what we achieved, we, we cannot fault it. We're, we're so lucky. And I just wish I could remember more that went on, all these famous people that we met who were amazing to me whether it's the beastie boys or oh so many so many like i just can't believe i talk about stuff that i've got to do these things yes. and i hope it's not over i hope i get to do it again and can appreciate it and document it more like i'm saying but oh very lucky band indeed very lucky but also fantastic anyway that's the first part of my interview with mandarin from bis who i do believe are playing sometime mid-november at the shine festival that's taking place with about a million other bands mostly from the 90s but a few from the 80s as well do check that out anyway if you want to know any more information about bis they do have a very good website i'll give you their address a little bit later but i think it's time for some more music this is a, another track by them this is euro disco
more chart bound sounds from this, and that was a track called Euro Disco. If you want to contact me, you can. This is David Eastall at the C86 Show. Just go to either Facebook or Twitter. It's at C86 Show. I will be there. And it's always nice to get a message, as long as it's kind of groovy, positive and nice. Otherwise, just hit delete. Anyway, if you want to know any more information about BIS, who are still going, you can go to their website, which is bisnation.com. And the dates for that Shine compilation, which they'll be playing, I'm not sure exactly what date, but it's between the 16th, 17th and 18th of the November is a fantastic lineup. Check it out. It may just change your life. Anyway, this is the next part of my interview with Mandarin, where we talk about the longevity of the band that went beyond the usual five years. That's interesting. Mandarin, tell us how you keep it going. Well, I'd like to think it's not just nine years because we're still doing stuff and we're still doing gigs. We've got this new album coming out at the start of next year. So as much as we did a kind of brief splitting up and started a, a new band as the same members, <laughs> but just under a different name, we've just gone back to being what we were and what we were good at. And yeah, we're, we're as much as people might want to get rid of us, I don't think they're going to anytime soon. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that you sort of managed to sort of navigate back through that because I sort of did an interview with James and one of the members and um you know they they just got to a point where though they had fantastic success they were sort of i think slightly getting drunk at one of their gigs and one of the members <laughs> say should we just split up then because we ha- all hate each other and everyone said yeah that's great let's do it and they did and <laughs> didn't speak to each other for six years and then tentatively got back together so i mean and now they're sort of they've learned the lesson and and appreciate what they've got and think let's not mess it up this time and let's mm-hmm. keep it going with a different attitude because they they know kind of i think most people don't realize how ephemeral the music business is and how lucky they are but at the time sometimes people just get fed up and did I was just wondering if that was the same if you had a similar experience when you decided to call it a day was it about 2003 yeah um the weird thing was like because everything moved incredibly fast for us and because we were still pretty young we never really well, I didn't really think about it too much. Um, when we went to do the difficult second album, I didn't really think anything of it at all. I just, we just did what we what we did. And when we got dropped by our publisher again, I was just kind of, it was it wasn't something that I got sad about or changed anything for me. Um, maybe John Stephen it might have, but I don't think so. And we just we've just always kept going. We've always had something big on the go, um, in some way or another, and it was just getting kind of tiring. Every time we went to promote something, that we were getting the same response from the press, and it was just getting boring. But this was a quite a awkward time in the media where paper magazines were closing down and social media was starting. And we'd never, you know, we, we didn't even have a website to begin with. We never used Facebook and all that stuff till much later on. So it, a lot was changing. You didn't need some people by the end of it. And once we, re- we realised we could do a lot of it on our own, we thought, sod them, let's just, let's just keep going. And rather than trying to change our name and seeing if they'll give us a, a good review, ah, sod it, let's just do what we do. Yes, well, I think I think um, I suppose certain artists that I admired a lot and were obsessed with, slightly David Bowie, I think, realise that you're not going to, to please the press all the time, and they're always going to say this is the best album since Scary Monsters or this is the worst album since Tin Machine, and you just you know I suppose you know you just have to go oh well never mind you know sometimes you know they all you know certain artists also accept that that you know that a particular album isn't that great. I think it's just kind of having the resilience because obviously you got some horrendous press actually didn't you, which was quite mean. And I and I know a lot of not um, musicians who um, didn't have a great relationship with the NME, I did see quite a few gloating um, moments on social media when it kind of folded or kind of the print folded anyway, because I think their relationship had been pretty awful, really. Well, that's the thing. There's a lot of of press who were particularly cruel to us, whether it was Select Magazine or Melody Maker, and they folded before this did. So that's kind of kept me quite chuffed in that respect. But I do have... You know, as much as the enemy were pretty cruel to us towards the end, I did grow 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 up 
reading the magazine and I got into new bands via the NME and I'll never forget, you know, cutting out bits of the magazine and putting them on my wall and like the usual teenager. And no, I wasn't happy for them to go. Um, there's now, thankfully, enough fans that can get in touch directly that I don't really care a lot of the time what, I, what press says about us as long as there's fans there to make up for it. And that's what got me through all the difficult times at the start as well. So I'll just concentrate on these people. And when we get nice responses saying how much we meant to them, you know, going through school or whatever, and how excited they are about coming to our gigs, that excites me so much. And they're so happy to meet us at gigs. And it's, it's, it keeps me going. Yes. It, it makes me so happy that I'm doing that to somebody that I'm, I'm a kind of, I'm in, I'm in their lives and I've, I've meant something special to them just from the music I play. Yes. How nice is that? I know, it's perfect. I know, it's sort of, yeah, I know so many bands from that period who have got back together and aren't sort of getting carried away this time. They're just enjoying it and enjoying the gigs and enjoying the, the occasional sort of new material because I think most people do enjoy wanting to record something new rather than just playing their old hits again because there's still things that they feel often unfinished and also sort of creatively thinking, actually, it would just be nice to see if we can write another one, but we won't have to sort of go through that old channel that we used to do we'll just keep mm -hmm. it much more kind of as, as a more DIY I suppose ethic really which I think was Definitely. quite lucky because in that period when the band wasn't happening you still kept very active though didn't you sort of releasing solo stuff yeah and I think again it was just a, a thing I'd wanted to try out um there was a a side of music I wanted to try that wasn't necessarily this and I thought oh, I'm just going to try this it maybe went a kind of direction which in hindsight, I wish I hadn't done. Um, it was maybe a bit more dance, the kind of thing I would rather have done for a solo thing. I'd rather have made it more more punk and more Riot girl. But there's still time for number two <laughs> if yes. I get bored again. Did you have a moment then towards the end of the, the noughties when you decided to sort of reform the band? Do you know, I can't even remember what actually happened and how it... I, don't, I honestly don't remember, but we, we still see each other you know, regular, quite regularly. So I really don't know. Yes. I really don't know. I don't know if it was an offer from somebody or we just decided to do it. I can't remember. Yes. I need to speak to John and Stephen and see. I know, that's age for you. Just kind of forget various things from your past. Um, sometimes that's a useful thing. Anyway, that's the second part of my interview with Mandarin. From the band Biss, I've still got at least another one, if not two more parts of that interview still to come, but I think we should have another track. This is taken from transmissions on the Teen C tip, indeed. This is Kill Your Boyfriend.
It's excitable stuff. That is Biss and the track called Kill Your Boyfriend. That came from an EP, a five-track EP, titled Transmissions on the Teen C Tip. Indeed. Anyway, this is the third part of my interview with Mandarin from the band, where we talk about the dynamics. It's all a bit Fleetwood Mac, but also slightly more like Galaxy 500. Three members of a band and two are in a couple. It's going to end in tears. Anyway, um, for various reasons. Anyway, this is um, that particular subject and this was Mandarin's answer when I asked how they managed to cope with yes dynamics relationships love life and poetry take it away Mandarin yeah it was it was very strange because yeah we got together when I was 16 but it means Stephen split when I was 18 and we were it was just before Top of the Pops and it, it did make things very strange in the band like we didn't go on one bit and that's one of the things I regret the most because we didn't get to enjoy the things that other bands do as a band. And we got invited places and we just seemed to go out in kind of two separate groups, which was such a shame. And, yeah, it was a real a real shame. Everything's, you know, brilliant with us all now, but at that time, a crucial time, we just, I just wish we'd been friends. And that's a, a very important thing when you're doing a band is to, good mates. Yes, the gang mentality and uh, I yeah. guess it's kind of often one of those things. I saw that documentary with Duran Duran recently where they'd sort of had enough even after all that kind of chart success of those early years and when they did Live Aid I think they none, none of them could look at each other because they just had got to that point where they were thinking that I can't stand you and you know even though they were playing for Live Aid and it was a really important thing and, and you know and there was a much bigger issue dynamically amongst them they just couldn't enjoy it and it was like yeah that's a bit but we missed that moment and I guess it's going to happen with everybody because actually being 18 and in your early 20s things are so much different because you haven't had that many Kind of, I suppose experiences and and life's ups and downs, which you kind of they kind of come later on in life, and you think, oh, it gives you a different perspective, really. So um, yes, it must be tricky. So when you sort uh, of, so I was going to say, so we're coming back now. You've all sort of kind of dealt with that and emotionally moved on. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's it's such a shame because you do need your band to be your friends because. You need that kind of team mentality to fight everyone who's who's against you. And at that point, where we really did need it, we we weren't getting on at all. So it was such a shame. Like we even despised each other. We had like physical fights, and it was pretty horrible. And I'm surprised that we still made it through with all the things that we did. Um, I think one of the most embarrassing things was when we'd had a really major falling out, and we're in New York. And the three of us getting sat down in a coffee shop by Mike D and getting told why we should be doing things. And it's like, oh, my God, that's just so embarrassing looking back on stuff like that. Whereas we should have been out there partying and getting to hang out with really cool people and enjoying it. So bit of a shame. But yes, everything is completely fine now and we're all good mates. So. Yes. onwards and upwards hopefully <laughs> the other thing that I sort of noticed is a band sort of getting their publishing and doing all the admin how did you did you manage to navigate that relatively successfully because because kind of keeping ownership of music and sort of keeping an eye on what's happening and getting royalties is another sort of tricky world that that most people don't really understand until it's a bit too late so I just wonder how Biss managed to um, deal with that yeah, well, as I was saying, uh, quite early on, we got a manager, which was just a guy we knew in Glasgow who hadn't done it before, but he knew his stuff. He'd worked with bands like um, doing a label, things like that. And we were very lucky that he offered to take us on and he introduced us to the world of record labels and publishing and made all the meetings for us to go and see people and explained what... PRS, PPL, MCPS, all these really mind-boggling things for a teenager to hear about were. So it was it was really good for us. And I know a lot's changed nowadays and now we don't have a manager. And you know, I'm, I'm still learning some stuff, but I do feel I can, I can control a band. At least it's, it's not too bad. Yes, because you were on a couple of very hip labels. It was Chemical Underground, but also... Is it Ouija Records as well, which is... Was it part of Southern Records or Southern Studios down in London? 
uh, Ouija was part of a Beggar's Banquet. Beggar's Banquet's the big label. Yes. And that's where they got their funding from. So Ouija was the home to where Corner Shop started out and they did Huggy Bear Records and they were a very cool cool label, but they had the backing of uh, a bigger independent label, being Beggar's Banquet, which made them take us on, which was brilliant. And thankfully we sold an awful lot of our first album in Japan, which helped them recoup a lot of that, which was brilliant. Um, but we weren't we weren't signed to Chemical Underground because, well, when I say signed, I mean doing an album deal. We were never scheduled to do an album with them. But yeah, we put out our first, uh, not first, but a couple of our early seven inches with them. And it was brilliant. It just suited them, it suited us, it was it was just ideal. And then sort of coming and sort of recording and, and uh, creating new music, which is kind of your, um, was it your fourth album you did several years after you'd sort of got back together? Did the process change much from those early years, the youthful excitement and naivety? Um, I think the, the fourth album, I suppose, was... We did admit that a lot of the songs had been written quite a long time before that release. Um, they were things that were written after our kind of um, data panic or other bands kind of finished. So there's been a kind of mix. There's always been stuff on the go. But yes, it has been different. And I think that's why we see this album we're currently doing as the first kind of main new album that we've done in a long time because we're writing it, you know, Right now, some of these songs don't don't even kind of exist properly yet. I've still got lyrics still to do and stuff still to complete, and it's exciting. It's it's like a proper brand new project, and actually, the kind of album that people might expect from a brand new album from this. It does sound like it's this, but it sounds like better, better <laughs> everything about. Well, I hope it is. To us, it is. Maybe it's just because it's new. I'm saying that. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of interesting because I remember, uh, was it Lawrence from Felt, who was kind of, he's, he's been really prolific with all his releases. I think he tried to do an album a year during the 80s and, mm-hmm. and people like Momus, who seemed to be an album a year for the last 30 years, which is incredible. And I know Lawrence said, well, most trades, you theoretically should get better because you learn more. And so he can understand why sort of people, when they were making music in their later life, wasn't better than what they made when they were young. But Sometimes it is the the youthfulness of life that kind of creates those kind of classics. So I guess you do sort of learn more and you do know what makes a good song. So I guess the experiences you've had should theoretically sort of make that a, a, a classic album. I think so. I, when, I've, when I've been doing stuff, I'm trying to just go back to the way that I used to think where I just want to be proud of these songs. I don't want to try and fit into anything and I'm not trying to make any record label happy. Not that I'm, I suppose not that I necessarily did in the past, but we felt a certain amount of pressure on creating a different album from the one before, whereas now we're just doing what we do and making new songs, and I really like them. I, I can't wait for a copy of them to listen to myself. <laughs> and that is probably the most important thing, especially as you get older. That was the third part of my interview with Mandarin from Bis. I've still got um, one more little bit to go before the end of the show, but I think we should have one or two more tracks before that. I think we should play this little fave. This is um, a song they did titled We Love John Peel. And let's face it, who didn't back in the day? And we do even more now because we now know how much he meant to all of us. Take it away.
Well, rock and roll, that was based with a track called We Love John Peel, which probably made him feel both very um, smiley and slightly embarrassed at the same time. But I know he would have loved it. Such youthful enthusiasm. We loved it back in the day. Anyway, this is going to be the fourth and final part of my interview with Mandarin when we talk about, yes, the next album that is coming up. And um, I asked if it was being crowdfunded. And this was her reply. And she definitely knew the answer to this one. Mandarin, take it away. No, um, we were considering that. Um, but there's a, a local non-profit making label called LNFG that I've offered to put it out. And they're fantastic, actually. The way they work, um, you should look, look them up. Um, it's really interesting the way that they do it. Um, you subscribe to them, and if you subscribe to them, you receive for free a certain amount of albums and singles and gig admissions you know, every year. And the, the people who are members absolutely adore them. They're very popular, the way they work with all their members and the label boss, Ian, he seems to know every member, you know, very well. And I know it can seem a bit kind of cliquey at first, but once you get to know them and the way that they work, it's brilliant. It's it's really good. And to think that we were part of that is really nice. It's like going back to the kind of happiness we had with Ouija in the beginning. So we'll see what happens. Nothing's been released as yet, but so far they've been very good at supporting everything we want to do. And I think it's a lot for them to take on a band who's, you know, the kind of history we've got, whereas they deal with just kind of very small, unestablished local bands at the moment. So I think it's, I think it'll be good. We'll get nothing to lose, really. Absolutely. And what would you say to your 18-year-old self if you had a, you know, could have a, a word with somebody, you know, that young person starting out with all the experience that you've had? You have to appreciate every single thing that you get to do. And it's, it's, it's still a lot of hard work. It's not, it's not a good paying job. You, you have to really work at it. You can't see it as something you're going to earn a lot of money from. But that will come... If you if you do it right, I suppose you just got to enjoy it. That's the main thing. Just yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and what period? I mean, because because when you sort of hit those the charts in those early years, it, there was a sort of a musical zeitgeist going on in the country with, you know, the the kind of emergence of Britpop, and obviously every you know everybody likes to sort of have um, sort of put things into categories, don't they, and file things away. So obviously, looking back, it does look like a kind of golden period of music. I, d- I just wonder if you have, when you look back, you know, your memories of that kind of. Yeah, the, the, those kind of that 90s scene. And remember all those Shine compilations that we used to sort of buy and get and and people appearing on top of the pops that before, you know, you just didn't get all those guitar bands or those kind of quirky indie bands that mostly were just on John Peel and that was it. Yeah, we were very lucky because we we're on, we we're on a Shine CD and we were on top of the pops. And yeah, it was when, char- it's when guitar bands were starting to become more mainstream because when I explained to people when I started secondary, what kind of music I was into, no one really knew what indie music was. It wasn't, you know, as popular a thing as it is now. You didn't even get, you know, sometimes sections for that in some record shops. Um, But I did did love all the Britpop bands. I really did. And still love Blur very much to this day. But we didn't fit into that category. We were just around at the same time, I suppose. Yes, but I think, you know, there was definitely a sort of a, a John Peel vibe about the band because now you're doing, you know, these kind of um, festivals and you've got one which is a Shine festival, isn't it? But it's not to do with that compilation that came out in the 90s. But, um, no, no, that's right. <laughs> but does that feel enjoyable, sort of meeting up and bumping into all the um, people that you thought, God, it's, I mean, in this case, it's not 30 years, it's more like 20, 25 years, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe ask me once we've done it in November. <laughs> I think the, the strange thing about doing it is that once again we're we're the youngsters. <laughs> if you look at everyone on the bill, that once again we're much much younger than everyone else. So it'll be just so funny seeing how everyone's aged. Um, <laughs> but it's, yes. it, when we get offered to do these kind of things, it's never an instant kind of yay. Is that kind of discuss it? What do you think? Mm, not sure. Mm, and you keep going back and forth all the time and 
uh, I, don't, I don't see anything, any harm in it. Um, I just, the one thing I always want to point out is that we're not just a, a reviving, you know, 90s band. We are, you know, hopefully back, well, not back, but we're going to just keep keep going as we have and producing new stuff, whereas a lot of the bands in that bill might not be. Yes. Well, I think with um, yes, any any of the bands who are still there doing it and have a sort of certain pulse, so they're still alive. I think there's kind of I think they realise that it is kind of the back catalogue that people want to hear. But um, mm-hmm. I think quite a few have quite enjoyed. I think the Darling Buds put out a, an EP last year, and and so certainly I think if people have the chance, as in the time and a bit of money to do it, I think they quite enjoy sort of you know sort of recording a few new songs just to see if they can, which is quite delightful. So I'm sure having seen quite a lot of photographs of these kind of events, where you suddenly see all these bands that probably in their day would have all been very terrible territorial and sort of not wanted to talk to each other seem really delighted to meet up I think it's like some sort of group therapy for a lot of people it's like oh my god we survived it and we all know what went on through those years it's a bit like people who probably went through something like I don't know national service or the war you know I think with, <laughs> with being in a band sometimes people do have that kind of we survived it you know there's there's obviously been casualties and everyone's had problems with record labels and you know, issues with themselves, falling outs and fights, like you mentioned. But I think to sort of get to the other end and just want to be at a holiday camp doing a festival or in a park with a few other bands, it, I think people quite enjoy it, actually. I think that it is kind of a form of kind of just, um, not just kind of wanting to live in the past, because I think most people realise, you know, they wouldn't want to be 18 again and all those kind of angsty problems, but are quite quite nice to sort of just be friendly with each other and feel happy to be alive. Oh, definitely. I actually wish we were playing on the Friday because there's a lot more people that we're be friends with playing that day. So it'll still, it'll still be great to do. And the next day we're, we're off to London to the headline show there and possibly doing a matinee gig again because when we did one before, it worked out really good that people could bring their families with them but doing two gigs in one day is quite tough but ah, we're hardcore now <laughs> I think we're just trying to um, show them that we can sell sell good for the evening first before me, like contemplating it but ho- hopefully we can if it works out just because it made a lot of people very happy that we're travelling from like Cornwall and places like that so we'll see we get a lot of gig offers but we only kind of do the, the kind of feasible fun one-offs here and there so I think Shine and things like that are totally fine and they they think that's okay. I guess that's the other thing actually about being in the band now is that it's like not everyone's going to be living on the same street, are they? They're going to be scattered around the place. And I guess that's where sort of like the wonderful computer comes in so useful in the internet. Oh, absolutely. Um, It was an accident, but Stephen and I actually live very close to each other, like walking, like an easy kind of 10-minute walk. Um, However, John, he's up in Inverness. So that's a fair distance and why the computer is definitely good for you know getting things for this album together and that's the fourth and final part of my interview with mandarin from abyss if you want to know any more information about their live dates they're playing on the 17th of november at the shine festival mindhead and then on the 18th of november they were in london at the lexington and as she said they are playing an evening show and a matinee so do check that out if you go to the abyss website you will see lots more information and again that website is bis nation just one word dot com and um, i do believe there's sort of information on facebook and probably twitter as well if you want to contact me this is david eastall at the c86 show you can via facebook or twitter just go to at c86 show it's always nice to hear from you as i said as long as it's um, positive constructive and very groovy otherwise hit delete anyway i will leave you with that exciting thought and i will leave you with probably a couple more songs this is going to be sweet shot Avengers. Have a great week.
sold the record store to a major label. What? Why don't you go and ask him? So it's true. They've gone and sold out. There's nothing you can do about it. It's crumb for Biscuit Records. <laughs> what's going on? We're all at the job. <gasps> but what's going to happen to us? I mean, if I lose this job, my dad won't let me go to beauty college. Then I'll never get to be a TV presenter. Look, kids, it's out of my hands. Nobody wants indie music anymore. There's too many subcultural divisions amongst the youth. And if we can't find 5,000 bucks before midnight, that's it. Kaput. No more biscuit records. <gasps> hey, I know. We could do a benefit gig for the shop. Me, Stephen and Amanda have been practicing for a while now. Yeah, I reckon we can unite the kids with our particular style of music. Yeah, and I've got another really good idea. Should be, but we 
Sure, let me go to college. But, but what about me? I love you. Oh, I'm sure you do. But so does everyone else. See ya. Hey, you guys. We were pretty good last night, weren't we? Yeah. We should put a record out. Call the name of the band, um, Best. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, kids. It's John Hughes on the phone. He says he wants to turn your story into a movie. Let's go, let's go, yeah. 